At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day. Good morning. My name is Kirk McDonald. It is my great privilege to bring to you uh, God's holy, inerrant, and inspired word. This morning, uh, let's let's see uh, how many history buffs we have in the room. If you if you know this quote from Benjamin Franklin, uh, he says this: <clears throat> "Our new constitution is now established and has an appearance that promises permanency, but in this world, nothing can be said to be certain except." Death and taxes. Very good. Very good. Some of you are like, got nothing. Got nothing, Pastor K. Nothing for you. Those two things are what is certain. Death and taxes. Um, death. We, we, all, we all die. Well, except for two guys in the Bible, Elijah and Enoch, but you're not Elijah or, or Enoch. And, and what we're going to be faced with today is this issue of time, this, uh, the time that we have left here on this earth. There is essentially a ticking time clock over every one of our heads, and, and at some point, um, that clock is going to stop. At, at some point, we are, we're no longer going to have breath in our lungs. At some point, our heart is going to stop beating. At some point, there will be no brain function at all. By the looks of some of you, there is no brain function now, but... Um, <laughs> At some point, we all die. We all go into the box and we go into the ground. That's where it, that's where it all ends. We are going to die, and, and this is truth. This is reality. And so you might say, well, you know, uh, Sunday morning is a, is a bit morbid to be talking about death, isn't it? Well, well absolutely not. If you're, if you're taking notes, a fool lives his life without his death in view. A fool lives his life without without death in view. And so what, what our, with our death in view, what happens is we begin to think about what am I going to do with today? If, if there is a limited amount of time, some, some people live a really long time, some people live a really short time, some people, some people it's just in between. We don't know when it's going to come, but we know that it is coming, which makes us live today differently. What am I going to do today? What am I going to do tomorrow? What am I going to do next a month? I have a limited time. I have this precious gift of life that's been given to me. What exactly... Am I going to do with it? Church family, we must live life on purpose because this life is the only one that we've got. And so we must live this life absolutely on purpose. And so the question in the text is asking is absolutely clear. Am I going to live for human passions or am I going to live for God's will? Am I going to be my own master? Am I going to do what I want? Am I going to chart my own course? Am I going to decide what I think is right and wrong? Am I going to let comfort and pleasure be my God? Or am I going to be my own God? Or am I going to live for the one true God, the God of the Bible? How are you going to live your life? 
That's the question that is inherent in the text. And so the question that we're after this morning is, have you decided how you're going to live? This is a profound question that that we must ponder, that we must spend time thinking about. How are you going to live? I mean, just before we even get into the text, just just look at verse 2. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh to live the rest of the time in the flesh. He's talking about living life in this body. What are you going to do with the time you have left in your body? Are you going to live? There's essentially two pathways that's presented here in the text. One is human passions. The other is the will of God. What are you going to do with the time that you have left? And so it is my hope today that you are able to live your life like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. That you can live every single day like Jesus is. Wait, what, what if you knew for sure? I mean, what if like, you know, the, the Holy Spirit shows up. He's like, hey, man, I'm the Holy Spirit. How's it going? You're like, you know, a little freaked out. But he just says, hey, man, I want to let you in on this. It's tomorrow. What would you do? Would you live that day any differently? It, it is my hope as, as us as Christians that we can live every single day like Jesus is coming back tomorrow. That is that is my hope for us. So um, as, we, as we move towards our text this morning, we're going to be going through the text uh, quickly because we wanted to allot some time for our, our big announcement. So we're going to be moving quickly so that I can be respectful of your time. Uh, but there are uh, uh, some confusing little parts here in this text, uh, and we're moving quickly. So I do uh, ask you guys to, fo- I mean, just look at the end of verse 1. It says, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Like, does that mean that Christians can be perfect? No answer from the crowd. Very good. I don't know either. Verse, uh, verse, look at verse 6. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead. Anybody want to take a stab at that one? <laughs> right? Okay, so we're going to have to move fast this morning, and we have some confusing little bits to, uh, to, to work on as well. But by God's grace, uh, we'll all make it out alive together. Okay, so uh, let's do our flyover as, uh, as we've been doing, uh, particularly in this series. So, so when I say flyover, I mean we're, just, we're looking at the text from 30,000 feet, then we're going to land the plane on the ground uh, and, and look at the text a little bit uh, more closely. So uh, it begins with this main command. This main command here is to arm yourself with the same way of thinking. He, he wants you to think a certain way. He's commanding you to think a certain way, right? And, and, and obviously, since therefore Christ has suffered in flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. This same way of thinking is connected directly to since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh. He wants you to think like that. Now, uh, what Peter is intending that if you think like that, if you think a certain way, you're going to live a certain way. If you think like this, if you arm yourself with the sufferings of Christ in your mind, then that's going to result in something. It's going to translate into uh, this result here, to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So if you arm your thinking with the way Christ suffered, you're not going to live for human passions. You're going to live for the will of God. So, so the command and then the result of obeying the command is you live for the will of God. Everybody with me so far? Okay. So then in, in standard Petrine fashion, what he's going to do is give us some reasons um, that we should do this. Okay. Arm yourselves in, in the way, this way of thinking 
in the sufferings of Christ, because when you do that, you're going to live out the will of God, not human passions, but the will of God. And now here are a couple of reasons why he wants you to do that. For the time that has passed suffices. You've already done that stuff enough. You don't need to, you don't need to live in human passions anymore. You've already done that, been there, done that, got the t-shirt. The time, the time for that is over. Uh, reason two, they will give an account to him who's ready to judge. If you live for human passions, God judges those people. You, you, you don't want to be going down that path. You don't want that road. That road ends in judgment. And the last reason, <clears throat> they might live in the Spirit the way God does. You want to live out the will of God. Why? So that you can live with God forever in, in heaven, in the spiritual realm. That's the, the ending reason that he gives. Everybody got that? Good? Makes sense? Okay, all right, let's dive in uh, to our text. First Peter, First Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, if you're reading an ESV, you'll, you'll have a little footnote. Uh, you can look down, it'll say some manuscripts add for us. So since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh for us, arm yourself with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. This, this idea of arming yourself is, uh, in the original Greek, is this military term, which means to put on armor, right? So get that in your mind. Like the, you know, think of a Roman soldier with the, with the breastplate and, and the, the, thing that, the things that go around his, his wrist and, 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 and he's, he's armed. He's saying, arm yourself. Well, why do we need to arm ourselves? Well, why would any soldier put on armor? Because he's going into battle. He, he, so in, in this command assumes that we are in spiritual warfare. Church family, I don't know if you believe that or not. I don't know if you think that that's a reality, but the Bible says that we are. The Bible says that we do not wage war against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the darkness, against the evil rulers. So we are living in a world where there is true spiritual warfare going on, and this is a part of arming ourselves for the battle. Now, he tells us to arm ourselves, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this same way of thinking. So what is the armor? How are we arming ourselves? We're arming ourselves with thought or with thinking. Doesn't that sound strange? What, what does it mean then to arm yourself? With, we have to think deeply about these things, church family. What does it mean to arm yourself with thinking? Well, it, it means to, to make choices based on the knowledge that you have. He, again, he's wanting you to think a certain way so that you will then live a certain way. So if you get this knowledge that he's wanting you to have in your head, it, it's going to translate into how you make choices. It's going to translate into how you live. Does that make sense? So, uh, so you know what he's asking you to do is to think how Jesus thought or to, since therefore Christ has suffered. That is the thought that he wants you to get a hold of. Since therefore Christ has suffered, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. Okay, so we have to think like Jesus thought when he suffered. Does that make sense? That's what he's asking you to do. If you're going to live out the will of God, you have to think like Jesus thought when he suffered on the cross. 
Okay, so what's the next question? How did Jesus then think when he was suffering on the cross? Well, it tells us that in 1 Peter 2, and it just, just flip back over to, to chapter 2 and look at verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 23. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, listen to this, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. What does that mean? That means that when, when they came and arrested Jesus, Jesus was thinking, my father is in control. When they took Jesus and they began to beat him, Jesus' heart whispered, my father is in control. When they scourged Jesus, Jesus was thinking in his heart, knowing my father is in control. And as they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet, Jesus knew his father was in control. And Peter wants us to arm ourselves with that same way of thinking. My father is in control. When we are persecuted for our beliefs, when we lose our job, when we lose the house, when we lose the car, when we lose it all, our Father is still in control. He wants us to arm ourselves with that way of thinking. Now, let's address this very peculiar thing that that follows after that. Since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, again, I'm taking that to mean uh, Christ's crucifixion. Okay, because this is, again, his, his suffering in the flesh for us. Since therefore Christ was crucified, or since therefore Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with this way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, um, are we to believe that Christians can, if they suffer enough for Christ, can live in a perfected state? Is that what this verse is intending? That, that if you just suffer enough for Christ, um, you will be sinless. Uh, many of you in this room have suffered for Christ. We planted this church. I mean, that, that was a huge toll on, on me personally, spiritually, physically, emotionally. I've suffered for the cause of Christ. Confession time. I'm still a sinner. So, so what does this What does this uh, then mean? I do not take this to mean that we stop sinning altogether. This suffering in the flesh that we experience is directly connected to Christ's suffering in the flesh at the top of the verse. So look at it again. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, look down again, for whoever has suffered in the flesh. So it's Christ suffering in the flesh, us suffering in the flesh. Again, I'm saying that when it says Christ suffered in the flesh, that's referring to his crucifixion or his death on the cross. Okay, so if you know your your Bible, you know that in a real spiritual way, we too were crucified with Christ. So, So what this means then is that for those who have been crucified with Christ, we cease from sin, not in the sense that we never sin again, but we cease from sin in the sense that we are no longer enslaved to sin because of Jesus' work on the cross. That's what I intend. Uh, that's what I think Peter uh, intends here. Uh, as a matter of fact, Paul kind of uh, uh, backs up this idea in Romans 6.6. 6, it says this, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. 
right? So he's saying the same. When, when Paul here says the body of sin was brought to nothing, does he mean that you'll never sin again? No, that's not what he means because he goes on to say, so that you would no longer be enslaved to sin, right? Does that make sense? So when he says you have ceased from sin here in 1 Peter, it means that you are no longer um, uh, enslaved to it is what is what he's getting after. I think Peter is saying the same thing. If you have suffered in the flesh with Christ in his crucifixion, then you are no longer, not only are you no longer enslaved to it, but you're no longer condemned by it. You have ceased, you ceased from sin. So what is he getting after in this peculiar uh, little verse? If you're taking notes, jot this down. Arm yourself with the thought that suffering for Christ always ends in victory. What happened when Christ suffered in the flesh? Up there on the cross, did it look like victory? No, the the cross looks like defeat, but it doesn't end with the cross, amen? I mean, anybody ready for next Sunday? I'm fired up for next Sunday. It doesn't end at the cross because Jesus Christ resurrects from the grave, and so the greatest amount of suffering that, that Jesus endured there on the cross actually ended in the greatest victory, which is victory over sin, Satan, death, demons that ends with his resurrection and in the same way as we suffer for Christ as we give our lives to other people as people persecute us for our beliefs what happens is it always ends in victory that's that's what Peter here is getting after since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh arm yourselves with the same way of thinking believing that God is in control every single moment for whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin it always any suffering we endure for Christ always always ends And victory. Verse 2, verse 2, here we go. So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. Again, his intent is to arm you with this way of thinking. If you think this way, if you believe that, that God the Father is in control, if you if you have suffered with Christ, if you've been crucified with Christ, he, he wants you then to think this way so that you'll live this way so as to live the rest of your time in the flesh. So sometimes uh, when the New Testament talks about flesh, it's talking about uh, a sinful way of living. uh, It's juxtaposed to uh, uh, living in the spirit. So you can live in the flesh or live in the spirit. But here, it's not actually referring to that. It's it's talking about your physical body, your, your flesh. So it says, so as to live... For the rest of the time in the flesh, there is a ticking clock over all of our heads. The rest of the time, what are you going to do with it? No longer for human passions, but for the will of God. This is talking about our body. No longer for human passions. This, This idea of human passions is literally translated desires of men. So human passions, um, he's specifically referring to sinful human passions. We, we can have passions that are good, right? You can have a passion for your spouse, uh, a, a passion for raising your kids in, in the way that God would have them go. Those are good passions. Here he's referring specifically to, to sinful uh, human passions. So there are two roads or two ways uh, in which we can, we can go. He then says... <clears throat> but for the will of God. These two roads, human passions or the will of God. Human passions or the will of God. So what are, 
sinful human passions. Well, that is the overwhelming desire to be liked and loved by everyone. That is people who give their lives away to money, people who want to pursue comfortable lifestyle, sex, reputation, being known. That's, that's one way, the way of the world, or sinful human passions. And it's opposed to the will of God, human passions or the will of God. So what is living the will of God? Well, The will of God is that he be glorified. It is the will of God that we know the Savior. It is the will of God that we love Jesus. It's the will of God that we serve him. It's the will of God that we love one another. If you're taking notes, jot this down. If you want to have a life filled with purpose, hope, and joy, give ultimate authority to the will of God revealed in the word of God. This, this is the, these are the two pathways. These are the two lifestyles that are on offer here human passions or the will of God. One is a pursuit of pleasure and comfort and ease. The other is a life of sacrifice, of giving yourself away to God, but it is the way of purpose. It is the way of meaning. It is the way of hope. It is giving yourself away instead of making your entire life about you. Now, if you want to have a life filled with purpose, hope, and joy, give ultimate authority to the will of God revealed in the word of God. You see, this, this is what makes a Christian a Christian. A, a Christian is one who says, I give ultimate authority in my life to God. A non-Christian says, I give ultimate authority in my life to me. I make the decisions. What I believe is spiritual is spiritual. What I believe is moral is moral. And as a Christian, we say, no, what God says is moral is moral. We've turned our lives completely over to him. Now, if what I've said is true, then the opposite must also be true. If you're taking notes, if you want to waste your one shot at life, chase comfort and pleasure and pursue happiness in every single moment. Church family, don't you know that this is this is that idea of of pop psychology or, or, or pop philosophy where it's like, just, just find whatever makes you happy and do that as much as you can. Well, well you know what? Sometimes, sometimes you have to have hard conversations with your spouse so that your marriage will last. And sometimes uh, that's not very fun. Sometimes you have to discipline your children and that's not very fun. Um, sometimes you have to work really hard at your job and scrape just to make it by. And so there are two ways of living. One says, I'm going to pursue pleasure and comfort and ease and just being happy all the time. The other way says, I'm going to obey God even when it's difficult. And that's exactly where Peter is going because this is a, this is a church that is persecuted. This is a church where people are making fun of them. People are maligning them. People are calling them out. Why? Because they're not engaging in all of these activities that, they, they, that are found here in Verse three, for the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Do you see what he's saying here? For the time that is past suffices. What does that mean? Peter is saying enough is enough. Enough is enough. You only have, what are you going to do with the time you have left in the flesh? You can live for human passions or you can live for the will of God. 
And his first reason for living for the will of God is, you guys have already gone down that road. Enough is enough. You don't need to uh, go down that road anymore because it is destructive to you. I think he's saying that the time is, that is past is sufficient is because we have a tendency to say, I know that this, is a, this thing that I'm doing is sinful, and I'm going to quit next week. I know that that website that I go to is sinful, and, and I'm going to stop. Um, as, as soon as, soon as I've, I'm, I'm prayed up and spiritually ready to stop. He, what he's saying here is, the time that's passed, that's plenty. That, that, that's, that's quite enough. And so what, what he's getting after here is that, um, that the destructive nature of it is what is harmful to us. So if you have done anything on this list for five seconds, or if you've done anything on uh, this list for 50 years, that's enough. You don't need to do it anymore. Be done with it. Now you might say, Pastor Kirk, I've never been involved in anything on that list. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> you see, he's going to get you here. Look, look, look at it. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles do, living in sensuality, passions. Those are so. What he's just done with those two. Before we get any further into the list, what he's done with those two is he's just called everybody out. Sensuality and passions. And, and, and if you want to skip over the other ones, that's fine. But look at the very last one, lawless idolatry. Have you always loved God as supreme and placed him in his rightful place every single day of your life? Lawless idolatry. That's what that is. He creates this list in such a way to, to let us know that this type of living we can all be called guilty for, and it's time to say, I want to live for God. He's wanting us to go down that path. Listen to what he continues to say. Verse 4, with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of the debauchery, and they malign you. You... You're not at the party anymore. You, you, you don't go to that same place where they all go and do that thing that you know is wrong. And, and then the next day they call you up. Hey, man, where were you at, bro? We missed you. And, and you say something like, I know that's sinful. I know that behavior is wrong. And, and I'm, I'm not going down that road anymore. I, I want to follow the will of God. Are they going to say, wow, I really respect your decision? Probably not. They'll, they'll probably malign you. They'll probably make fun of you. They're, they're surprised that, that you don't join them in the flood of debauchery. Again, it's this thinking that tomorrow we might die. And so today, let's eat, drink, and be merry. But as Christians, we have a completely different view. We have a completely different perspective. We know that, that tomorrow Jesus could come back and we could enter into the forever kingdom with him, with our forever family. And so that, that causes us to live today differently, not saying tomorrow we might die, so let's eat, drink, and be merry. We say tomorrow Jesus might return, and so let's reach as many people with the gospel as we can. Let's serve and love as many people as we can, because the, the reason that we're not at the party tonight is because we're waiting for the eternal party when Jesus returns, is what Peter is, is getting after. 
with respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they, they malign you. Recently, I was in a conversation um, with a guy. I didn't know him very well, and um, we're standing there chatting, and you know, you, you're kind of looking for things to talk about. So we started talking about, you know, Netflix shows or, you know, uh, Amazon Prime shows or whatever. He's going on and on about this particular show. Um, and you got to watch it. It's amazing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and I, I was familiar with the show and knew that I was never going to watch that show because it, it's inappropriate, um, <clears throat> Game of Thrones. And so, so... You know, he's going on, you know, you got to watch the show, you got to watch the show. And, and I just told him, uh, nah, I'm, I'm not going to watch that show. There's, there's just way too much, you know, and I want to, to keep my mind pure and, and focus only on, on my wife. And, and he laughed. And, and he said, oh, you, you just can't control yourself. So he, he maligned me. He, he was intending that I was too weak or lacked self-control. Christians, if we, if we are going to obey God, if we're going to try to keep ourselves pure and holy and give our entire lives to him, people are going to find that weird. People are going to find that peculiar. They're going to say we're strange, and they will malign us. And so what we must do is, verse 1, arm ourselves with this way of thinking the way Christ suffered in the flesh. That's the way of thinking that we must arm ourselves with. Verse 5, But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. The, the they here in verse 5 is those who are maligning you um, for obeying the will of God and not going down the pathway of human passions. They will give an account to God who judges Church family, this is a, this is a hard verse. This is a, a difficult verse. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. Everyone is judged is what this is saying. Those, those who malign you, those who make fun of you because uh, you want to give your whole life away to God and not pursue comfort and pleasure. He's saying those people will be judged. Plain and simple. Well, let's hasten to get to our last verse and our uh, most confusing verse out of this uh, particular section. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Okay, Um uh, pastoral confession. Uh, I don't know what this verse means. Now, I'm going to give my best shot at it, uh, and I hope that you will uh, allow me. So, at looking at this verse, at a plain reading, it seems like um, somebody preached the gospel to dead people. That's, that's just a plain reading, um, and, and I, I don't think that's right, okay? So uh, here's what I've done. Uh, I, I've put together a uh, KSV version, that's Kirk Standard version, to kind of help us. And, and if, you're read, if, you're, if you're actually reading the NIV, it also it, it includes this word in there, which I think is correct. So here's the um, Kirk Standard version of this verse. It says, <clears throat> for this is why the gospel was preached even to those of you 
who are now dead. Okay, so, so it's not preaching the gospel to dead people. Um, this, this was the gospel preached to people who are alive, but that are now dead. Does that make sense? Are you following me there? So for those, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those of you, uh, of you people in the churches that Peter is writing to, those of you who are now dead, that though judged in the flesh. I, so I'm taking that judged in the flesh to mean um, they're dead. So, so um, because they are judged in the flesh, because we are um, from our sinful father, Adam, uh, there is a particular sin judgment that comes on all humanity, all mankind, which is death, judged in the flesh, okay? So, for this is why the gospel was preached even to those of you who are now dead, that, that though judged in the flesh, that though you're dead, okay, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So he's saying they heard the gospel when they were alive, they died, and I think this is also a part of the maligning. The, the people who are um, living in human passions, they're, they're laughing and pointing, look, we all die, you know, so why not get, get as much pleasure out of this life as you can? Why not go to the drinking parties? Why not do all that? You Christians are silly. You Christians are foolish. I die, you're going to die. So, I mean, just go all the way. Do, you know, give yourself over to all, you know, pleasure and passion that you can. I think that's a part of the maligning. And so what Peter is doing here is he's saying, no, 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 hold up. This is why the gospel was preached. Don't you, don't you see? This is why the gospel was preached. See, even the, because even those who are now dead, they're alive with God. They're alive with him. So don't go down the pathway of human passions. Live your life for the will of God. Does that make sense? That, that's about as clear as I can make that verse, okay? So he says, for this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who were dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit, the way God does. He wants us to arm ourselves with this way of thinking. Why? So that our life will reflect a life given over to the will of God so that we can live with God in the spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's our text. That's our text. I want to close again with, with this last question. The question that we began with is this. Have you decided how you're going to live. Have you decided? I mean, the, the two pathways are there ahead of us in the text. There is a way of human passions. There's a way of pursuing comfort and pleasure above all. And then there's a way, a hard road, a narrow road, which is following the will of God, giving glory to him and all that he is and all that he does. There is a, a hard road, a narrow pathway, which is, which is lined with sacrifice and, and suffering for Christ. But this pathway that I'm describing, though it is hard, though the road is narrow, though there are treacherous uh, paths, it's a treacherous pathway to go down, though it's difficult, it is the pathway of meaning, it is the pathway of joy, it is the pathway of hope. And so have you decided this morning how you are going to live? By arming yourself with the same mind of Christ or by arming yourself and giving yourself over to human passions, following the will of God or following the will of man? The choice, the choice is there. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for suffering in the flesh, your death on the cross in our place for our sins, 
Lord, we, we ask you this morning to send your spirit now in a special and powerful way to minister to us who are struggling on the path, this pathway that is narrow, this pathway that is difficult, this pathway that is obeying you and giving over ultimate authority to you. Lord, I pray now that the person in the room who is going down the pathway of human pleasures would hear the words of Peter, the time that has passed is sufficed. I pray that we would hear the word this morning, it's enough, it's enough, and that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we would move ourselves away from that type of life, we would move ourselves away from that type of activity, and we would walk on the pathway that is your will, that is giving you glory and honor. I pray that you, that you would do that in our hearts and in our lives this morning. I ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.